the Wrecking Crew was the focal point of the music. They were the ones with all the spirit and all the know-how, especially for rock and roll music. Welcome back. This is Wyatt here in Nashville, joined as always by my good buddy, Jason Brewer. Hey, everyone out there in podcast land. What's up, guys? I hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone's having a good night. We have a long overdue episode for you guys tonight. Hope you enjoyed the bonus episode last week. Um, We've all been kind of running around crazy doing all types of stuff. some family stuff and also just catching up on real life but we did play a bunch of shows this past month and uh, i wanted to say thanks to a few people for coming out and hanging out with us um tad and nikki in iowa thank you so much for hanging out we played in fairfield iowa which is the home of miu or i guess now it is the m-u-m but yeah so um where the Beach Boys MIU album was recorded and we didn't even realize that until like right before we left for tour because we're stupid but um, it was really fun we we got a fun picture (laughs) in front of one of the signs and um, got to meet some cool folks and uh, got in touch with our you know transcendental meditation side and uh, it was fun had a good show and then um, and some David and some David Lynch vibes there too there were some David Lynch vibes for sure um Spooky. I believe that his film school is, is near there. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, we had a really fun little run going up the East Coast. And I wanted to say thanks to Joel in New Hartford for coming out and saying what's up and for listening to the podcast. So, what's up, Joel? Hope you're listening again. And uh, thanks again for coming out. We'll see you again soon. And in Old Saybrook, Connecticut we saw our buddy Ryan and his son and wanted to say thanks to you guys for coming out it was awesome chatting with you and uh, that was a really fun show as well Uh, really cozy little town on the coast there and uh, we're looking forward to getting back out and meeting some more of you guys Um, we've got a few shows coming up on the east coast as well Jason where are we going next well on April 25th we are playing in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania at the Hard Rock Cafe. And that's going to be pretty awesome. They have a great facility there, so I'm stoked about that. Uh, then we're headed to Massachusetts in Chicopee, is what it says here. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> at a place called Shea Joseph. And that fancy. should be pretty good. Yeah, I think it's like a fancy dinner theater situation so it's gonna be pretty rad and then we're headed to portland maine i know dear and near to wyatt's heart yes and uh and we're playing at the weston harborview hotel for an incredible fundraiser it's otherwise known as the eastland hotel but yeah it's now owned by the weston so i was confused i've spent a lot of time at that hotel bar which is very nice 
and um, excited. Very First nice. time that we're ever playing in Maine, and it's a place that is like a second home to me. And there's going to be some dear friends there, so excited about that. Can't wait. And then we're headed over to Pauling, New York, to hang out with Mr. Daryl Hall at Daryl's house venue, his venue that he owns up there. I don't know if he's going to be there. That's okay, because we're going to be there, and uh, we're going to play some great Beach Boys tunes, and it's going to be awesome. So, yeah, we're playing some shows. Thanks, guys, for coming out. And, um, yeah, we have a Beach Boys tribute if you're just tuning in. But if you're just tuning in, you need to go back to the beginning and start with us, with cousins, friends, and brothers, because there's a lot to learn about the Beach Boys. And we are up to episode 13, which is super exciting. But first off, we wanted to catch up also on some listener voicemails. So we've got a few we wanted to play for you guys and respond to. The first one is from Michael Klein. Hey, guys. Uh, name's Michael Klein. I'm a big Beach Boys fan, and huge fan of the podcast, and a big Explorers fan. Sports Club fan, too. I uh, have been since Freedom Win. And I love Grand Hotel, but this Together album, that's, that's my favorite. Once in a while, I could have been in a, a Lost American Spring song. But uh, anyway, my uh, brother and I were fortunate enough to see you guys, see Salon in Memphis last week at Lafayette. It's an amazing show, and uh, it's very cool to meet you guys. And just keep doing what you're doing, and spreading the message of melody and harmony and good vibrations. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I love how deep you guys go. And the Beach Boys is such a rich, rich mythology. I'm excited to see where uh, this podcast goes. And I just want to ask you guys about something. I keep reading about these bedroom tapes. And uh, we always hear that Brian spent those years in bed. Kind of leads us to believe that all he did was do drugs and eat birthday cake. But as, uh, as fans know, the man was always creating music. And I thought I'd heard it all, but, you know, everything from it's trying to say to smart girls, but the track listing on these bedroom tapes is full of titles I've never heard. Just wondering if you guys knew anything about those tunes, especially one called Song for God. That's supposed to be amazing. But uh, anyway, I just wondering if y'all knew anything about that. I love the David Marks episode. I didn't know any of that, any of that stuff. And you guys just keep blowing my mind and just keep doing what you're doing and love and mercy. So long, hang on to your ego, and God bless you guys. Thank y'all. Yeah, hey, Mike. How you doing, man? Great to see you. Really enjoyed seeing you and your brother in Memphis. I'm really glad that you've been kind of getting hyped up on all these episodes, and I'm going to do my best to hang on to my ego. Um, you know, the bedroom tapes, I think that's something that like five people have heard that, So, and I'm not one of them, and I don't think why it is either. Um, as far as you know. So... As far as as far as I know, anyway, <laughs> I know why it's and I both have heard some crazy stuff, but you know, no, I, we, yeah, we haven't heard the bedroom tapes. That's something that I am um, very aware of. I've read the article and I've I've read all the song titles and been very excited as you are to someday hear those should they see the light of day. Um, and as Jason said, we've heard a lot of stuff, and there is some stuff that. Um, that I have that I can't talk about right now, but when we get to it, I'd like to be able to play some of it for you guys. Have some stuff in the bag that I have never seen anywhere 
that I got from an anonymous source very close to the Beach Boys. So um, we'll get to that eventually, probably down the line here. But um, thanks for calling in, Michael. It was great to see you guys. Also wanted to say thanks for the uh, the props on the uh, Once in a While from Together. It's pretty rad. We had a lot of fun recording that together. So Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, another voicemail from our good friend Garrett Cash. Hey guys, it's Garrett Cash calling. Uh, finally caught up with all the episodes. Just finished Shutdown Volume Two, and I, I'm interested with uh, what, the question that you asked at the end of um, of saying what early songs would you give tens to or nines? Because I've actually been pretty surprised at how. Um, conservative you guys have been in giving ratings to some of the songs that they did in the early days that I really think are some of the best songs they ever recorded and wrote. Um, I think that songs like Don't Worry Baby, The Warmth of the Sun, uh, stuff like that is truly just some of the the best work that Brian ever did in my room. Um, I know that's kind of skewing towards some of these kind of slower ballad blush kind of songs, but I, I really love those songs and I think uh, for me, a lot of times when I try to rate things, I try to think to myself, well, is this work of art? Is this film, book, movie, uh, um, song, you know, whatever I'm uh, thinking about, is this doing the, the best that it can possibly do at what it's trying to do? And I think that with a song like Fun, 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 like that song may not be as profound or, or great as, say, Surf's Up or Till I Die or whatever uh, we may consider to be you know, absolute stone cold 10 songs are, um, in their later years. But to me, that song is really the best at what it can possibly do. But fun, fun, fun is just a, uh, is a, a stone cold classic of that genre. And just as, as far as quality goes for that, I think it would be a, a nine or a 10 for that. Maybe not a 10 for me personally, um, just cause it doesn't speak to me, but like, I am surprised that, uh, like why that you would give Warmth of the Sun a uh, a nine instead of a ten? Like for me, that's just an easy ten. I think that Don't Worry Baby is an easy ten. Uh, and and I will uh, kind of give like a controversial opinion here, talking about like the covers. I think that um, like Hushabye on All Summer Long that you guys are going to be going through in a couple episodes, I guess that to me is a ten even though it's a cover. And I think that that's one of probably the only cover in their early years that I would ever give a 10. I just think it, it perfectly fits that lush um, kind of beauty that, you know, we talked about just getting that transcendental feeling that uh, something that you just can't put words to when you hear it. Like, I think that that song really captures that. And I don't think it could do it any better. So I don't know. I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, nines or tens pre-pet sounds. Like I, I would give maybe like five songs roughly that those ratings uh, before um, today and pet sounds and all those records. And I think that they were doing some really great stuff and some of their best stuff ever. Well, Garrett, thanks for the voicemail. You asked in your voicemail for a stone cold 10, and I'm just not ready to give that away yet. Um, you're just going to have to stay tuned to find my answer. Otherwise, you'll just have to hear the only Stone Cold I'm willing to talk about right now, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, we're pretty stingy with our ratings, but, you know, it's because 
there are some epic epic tunes coming up that there's no way so epic we could give anything less than a 10 so there's no way we could give these songs currently that we're reviewing a 10 it's just too hard it's just too difficult there has to be room there has to be room at the top for the upper echelon and trust me it will be worth it when you finally get that 10 from me and jason it's gonna be great you're gonna know it's coming too because Because stone cold said so that's right and um you'll see you'll see some tens here pretty soon in the next few episodes i trust I, i i trust that jason will as well but i will all right um thanks again garrett and that's the bottom line um really appreciate you calling in and uh we'll see you out there that brings us up to speed thank you guys for calling if you want to call us and leave a voicemail our number is 615-606-3887 and you can always leave us a voicemail and we'll get back to you at some point so this week we're talking about the wrecking crew yes so a couple weeks ago we were talking about phil specter and it felt kind of like you know a natural progression to get into talking about the Redken crew because at this point in our journey we're in 1964 and brian is obsessed with phil specter and everything he can do to sound like phil specter's records and he would go sit in at gold star and watch phil specter produce and you know, watch these amazing musicians, these session musicians that Phil was using, people like Hal Blaine and Carol Kay, Glenn Campbell, Tommy Tedesco, Leon Russell, etc. Just the best of the best in LA at the time. And Brian was like, okay, I want these guys too. And the Beach Boys were so busy and Brian was starting to spend more time in the studio. And um, so he started to kind of gradually involve these studio musicians and as 1964 went on and they got into recording the today album these musicians really came on and started really transforming the beach boys sound into a much more mature much more um you know creative and uh uh, expansive sound and it went beyond what i think anyone would have expected from brian wilson who was 22 years old at the time but um and would go on to be you know the musicians that would perform on pet sounds and the smile sessions and would continue to play in some form or another with the beach boys throughout the 60s but these guys were kind of formed in the late 50s they were originally known as the first call gang and they were headed up by bassist ray polman and uh some of the first work that they got was some of the Sam Cooke recordings. And uh, one of my favorites and one that I think really showcases their early sound is Twisting the Night Away from 1962. Let me tell you about a place Somewhere up a New York way Where the people are so gay Twisting the night away Here they have a lot of fun Putting trouble on the run Man, you find the old and young Twisting the night away They're twisting, twisting Everybody's feeling great They're twisting, twisting They're twisting the night away Here's a man in evening clothes
Love Twisting the Night Away. Love Sam Cooke. Amazing. Another example of early contributions by the Wrecking Crew would be the Phil Spector stuff, the Phil Spector tunes that they played on. And I think that was a big inspiration for Brian. Obviously, we mentioned that a minute ago, how he was so into Phil and he wanted to use those musicians. And the three tunes that we picked out that would really kind of define the wall of sound are He's a Rebel by The Crystals, which is a great early um, early tune of part of the wall of sound. And Be My Baby, of course, um, by The Ronettes, which, you know, that changed Brian's life. And then You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which I think is one that really, it it made a big impact on everybody. You know, I, you could tell a lot of tunes started using even more reverbed out echo when after that song came out. And you can even hear it in some of Brian's stuff. So those three tunes really define the Phil Spector wall of sound. I mean, if you play those three songs, people will know them. And they were just, you know, worldwide smash hits. So here are those three. See the way he walks down the street That's the way he shuffles his feet My hold his head up high when he goes walking by He's my guy He holds my hand, I'm so proud Cause he's not just one of the crowd
Yeah, that track, The Righteous Brothers, You've Lost the Love and Feeling, is huge. It's a giant, giant wall of sound. It's one of the quintessential Phil Spector productions, in my opinion, and um, really defined 1964 as far as everyone trying to play catch-up with Phil and trying to get that big hit. Um, But yeah, you know, at the same time, the Beach Boys were starting to enlist the Wrecking Crew, and... You know, this is where it really starts to explode for the Beach Boys, and they have a big hit with I Get Around. All right, here we go. Just, uh, Ray, start the verse on, on uh, letter A, Ray and Carl. One, two, one, two, three, go. <laughs> thing I love about this, and if you're fortunate enough to have the session tapes in, in any form, um, the Unsurpassed Masters or just whatever bootlegs you can get a hold of, um, is you can really kind of dive in and see how they built these tracks and hear Brian kind of conducting uh, the musicians. And on these tracks, um, you've still got the Beach Boys playing, but you've also got guys like Ray Pullman and, and Hal Blaine kind of you know, adding on overdubs, you know, so Hal Blaine's playing kind of like the little additional percussion on this. And you've got Ray Pullman playing the additional like bass guitar. And it just adds such an awesome groove to this track. It's one of my favorite early Beach Boys tracks that you can just listen to and just really feel, you know, how advanced they were. And the, the, the playing is so fantastic and so tight. And then just adding those, crisp amazing harmonies over at the top is just taking it to the next level and it's one of my favorite beach boy songs get 
place where the kids are hip Moving into, you know, late 1964, they started working on the Today record, and um, one of the songs that stuck out to me from that record is Please Let Me Wonder, and it's probably my favorite Beach Boys song of all time, spoiler alert, Um, but since we were talking about tens... uh, Oh, Garrett. (laughs) uh, This is an amazing track. Um... And um, I love listening to the sessions for this because, um, again, you've got you know the two basses, you've got uh, Ray Pullman and Carol Kay playing bass on this. Carol Kay, Carol Kay is playing the Dan Electro bass, and it's got such a rad kind of growly tone to it. Really, you know, feel her digging into it, and she she definitely would talk about how she had to kind of dig in hard for Brian. He loved that pick sound. So, and she would kind of carry her Beach Boys pick around and, and ask other producers if they wanted, <laughs> if they wanted the Beach Boys pick. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was definitely a point of pride for her. And um, you can really hear it on this track. It's awesome. And um, just, I love this track so much. I love the guitars. I love, you know, the way the, the track builds up. And you can definitely hear echo? Brian on piano. Yeah, the echo is amazing. Um, it's just phenomenal. It's just one of my favorite songs of all time, if not my favorite song of all time. You know what's really cool about that track is you've got so much going on and so much sound that the sound in the same way it did with the Phil Spector stuff, it kind of superseded some of the fidelity they had but the thing is that's what made it. That's what made it sound so amazing is they weren't you know, it didn't have a million tracks to do a million different types of panning and all that stuff so I think it's pretty incredible that Brian was able to sweeten up his Phil Spector influence into a really unique sound starting around that time on that track. Oh yeah. And it is, it's a huge track. I mean, this whole record is really to me when, well, you can really feel the shift towards pet sounds. I mean, you listen to the tracks, how intricate they are, the playing, like just the general vibe of the whole record. Um, 
for a long time this was my beach my favorite beach boys record and um this tune especially just sticks out to me um you've got you know about 15 people playing on this track and that was just kind of crazy at the time for the beach boys and kind of no one expected these kind of huge arrangements out of this band and um I just love it, man. It's just, it's one of my very favorites, and I can't wait to get to this record till we can get even deeper into it, because I really, I'm itching. I'm itching to talk about it, but we'll leave it at that for now, and then um, move on down the road, because we got so many other tunes to talk about, but um, also the interesting thing about that track um, is that Murray Wilson is there, if you listen to the... Uh, these sessions the interesting i remember the hearing that all right moving on um california girls That's like, you know, when Mike does that thing in the show where he talks about it being like an escape to a dreamland. I mean, that was totally what was going on in that intro. Yeah, you listen to the sessions for California Girls and you can really hear how, you know, it kind of evolved in the studio. And um, the intro is fantastic. It's like taking you to a magical world. got Hal Blaine on drums, you got Carol Kay obviously on bass guitar, Leon Russell on piano, Lyle Ritz on upright bass, um, you know, the horns, the percussion, you got Al DeLore on organ, you got Jerry Cole on 12 yep. string, I mean it's just like, these guys just nailed it on this track, it's one of my very favorites, obviously it's a huge track for the Beach Boys. It's really interesting to hear that song. And then you compare it with something, you know, even as amazing as Surfing USA was, but I mean, it's like worlds away. And it really took these super incredibly gifted musicians from the Wrecking Crew to make, you know, to bring out the magic that Brian Wilson had in his mind. You just think about all the intricate parts and 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 you and i we we play in a band that plays a lot of these songs and think about how tough it is just to get it to feel right you know like a simple live setting in a combo our small combo of right. instruments and imagine all this stuff that brian was hearing he's hearing what leon russell and what um don randy are going to play on there's two separate keyboards yeah. and he's you know all that different stuff just the way he would stack all those things together oh yeah i mean it's 
it's it's it's mind blowing and as someone who's made recordings, it's really tough to even try to come close to like emulating that style and that sound. I mean, it's these players and those studios and those engineers. I mean, it's all of that stuff. It's not a thing you can fake. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a common misconception about um, what these guys did with Brian is that they were coming in and kind of writing their own parts, but Brian had everything written out for them. I mean, he wasn't a classically trained musician but he would he found a way to write out parts and sometimes they would have to rewrite them because he was so illiterate at writing music but he would come in with parts for everybody and um you know i know carol Kay has said many times that he was so professional and smart and fast and wonderful to work with in the studio and that a lot of times she felt like he wasn't portrayed as such and they would spend three or four hours on a track you know, when typically they would do like several tracks in that amount of time for any other artist. And when they would come in and play for other surf bands like, you know, Jan and Dean or the Hondells or anything else of the genre, they would just come in and have chord charts and just kind of, you know, go with what the the song, you know, needed. And they all kind of wrote their own parts. And a lot of the songs that they played on early on, they were all kind of just coming up with riffs and coming up with ideas on the fly Whereas Brian pretty much gave them exact parts to play on all this stuff, which I thought is pretty incredible. A great thing that from the Wrecking Crew movie by Danny Tedesco, which if you guys haven't seen that, you need to watch it about a hundred times because it's great. It's a great documentary and I can go on and on about that. And at the end of the podcast here, we'll, we'll share a link where you can um, go check out Danny's page and, and go, seek that movie out and support him because it was a long road for him to get that movie out there but anyway um there's a great outtake from the movie with leon russell who's one of my all-time heroes talking about brian wilson and talking about how essentially everybody wanted to be on a brian session you know they didn't they would do his sessions because Brian sometimes would like to do his sessions starting at midnight. And, you know, guys wouldn't want to do that, but um, they would do it for him. And and I think what you were saying about the professionalism and just the fact that they got to work with a guy who was a true visionary, and I think they knew it. I think early on they didn't quite get it w- before they would hear the tracks all together with the voices, but... I think eventually they were just like, okay, we're going to go in and trust this guy and what's going to come out is going to be unlike everybody else. Yep. So that brings us to the sessions for Pet Sounds. And, you know, we could spend all day talking about this and we will spend many hours talking about Pet Sounds. But I really wanted to highlight what was kind of the genesis of this record. Um, Sloop John B.,
so much going on. The bass playing is outrageous. You've got the fantastic, you know, flutes, guitars, the temple blocks, the, you know, the percussion, um, the guitars that kind of layer from the beginning and kind of keep building. It's just such a wonderful arrangement, and I think it gets kind of overlooked because of the simplicity of the song. But um, especially when you listen to the track itself, it is just kind of phenomenal how they took basically a three-chord song and turned it into this kind of symphonic masterpiece. Well, you know the story about Brian Dragon, the guitar player out of bed, to to do the two 12-string overdubs, right? Oh, yeah. Brian dragged Billy Strange out of bed, essentially. Um to come record the 12 string electric parts you were just talking about those guitars and you know he got him in there described the parts he wanted and you know Brian had to call the instrument store to get the amp because they didn't have an amp in the studio that Brian wanted for a certain sound so he had to call the music store after hours and they they you know got him what he wanted because he was Brian and he overpaid for everything you know he essentially gave him the gear that he bought for the session on the way out on top of whatever he was getting paid and that's the kind of guy brian was because he knew that the return would be much greater than the initial sacrifice obviously but yeah he just wanted to take care of those guys and that's another example of why those guys wanted to work with him because he took care of them one thing that we'll obviously talk about later on is how you know brian was portrayed as being kind of aloof and um head in the clouds and and at this time, at this period, especially 64, 65, 66, he was just as on it and as professional as anyone in the business. And he was a commanding producer in the studio. And once Hal Blaine and um, Carol Kay and these, you know, amazing musicians like saw that and, and like started working for him, they immediately were just like, yeah, we'll do anything for this guy. Like this guy is the man. And it didn't take long for them to realize that, that he was in control and that he was, you know, really going to gonna make some amazing records. And they were pumped to be part of it. Um, so, yeah, moving on, that brings us into the Smile Sessions. And um, the Wrecking Crew were, again, brought back in for this. And it, it was... It was definitely a, an interesting time for them. They didn't really know what was going on. They didn't really understand how these songs were going to fit together. I don't think anybody did. But um, they did say they had a lot of fun doing it. And um, it was a little avant-garde. You know, they had that one thing, the one little bit where Hal Blaine was talking about vegetables and stuff like that. And, you know, you've, awesome. got, <laughs> you've got, you know them all having to put on fire hats and getting freaked out a little bit about all the fires in LA at the time and just stuff like that and and, but you know I wanted to highlight you know the fire session because it is so cool and it's such an awesome groove and something that I always really appreciated about uh, the wrecking crew was how they how they performed this stuff and how they kind of brought it to life
mean, that's some crazy music for back then. It really is. It's really experimental. And, um, yeah, but it still rocks, man. Oh, yeah, it's great, and it's rocking that bass line. That fuzz bass mm-hmm. is killer. Um, and... And it's pretty great that Brian got all these like professional, incredibly well-paid and well-respected musicians to wear those fire hats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. You know, an interesting thing you, you mentioned, obviously, we're talking Smile and Fire, and we just talked about Sloop John B. But you know that Brian met Van Dyke Parks um, because he wanted to play David Crosby an early mix of Sloop John B and that's how he met Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, in 65. So, so you know, the Wrecking Crew, the elaborate productions which lead to Smile kind of all intersected even, even then early, way before it happened. Well, that kind of brings us into our next topic here. That's, that's why I said <laughs> So... We could talk all day about the Beach Boys tracks, and we will. We'll talk about them, obviously, and the contributions that the Wrecking Crew made to the Beach Boys records in the mid-60s will not be understated. We will definitely get into it. But we wanted to talk about a ton of other stuff that the Wrecking Crew did. Um, Oh, yeah. And, and man, there's just so many tracks. Jason and I were doing research for this episode, and we just couldn't believe how many songs that we listen to every day feature these musicians it's it's just kind of mind-blowing that all this music from the 60s was just loaded with these same guys in la and it's just crazy how prolific they all were for those 10 years or so um yeah and one of the tracks talk, yeah i said we talked when we were talking about that we you know we just i kind of just said if it wasn't done in new york or detroit or somewhere or maybe in the south it was most likely made in LA and a lot of the times even in all those different locations it was a lot of these dudes a lot of the wrecking crew I think Hal Blaine went all over the place so I mean she's just one example but yeah totally one of our favorite recordings and um, one that I feel like you can't miss as far as the wrecking crew is the birds version of Mr. Tambourine Man which um, Terry Melcher wanted to bring in the Wrecking Crew, and they were like, yeah, okay. And, and Terry wanted Roger McGuinn to, to play with them, and he got a huge thrill out of being able to play with these guys because he looked up to them, as a lot of these young guys did, in ba- as a lot of these young guys in bands did. And um, he was thrilled about it, and the track is fantastic, obviously. thing about that is you don't think about that being a stereotypical wrecking crew song i think they did it in like two or three takes which is amazing and 
then I remember the quote later, it's the follow-up from the next album, Turn, 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 which is another huge smash hit, Bird Song, is all birds. But he said it took him like 48 takes. Whoa. Yeah, so. I didn't realize that it was the Wrecking Crew, but it didn't surprise me. No, yeah, no, of course not. But, you know, it's just interesting that, and, and the thing this kind of brings about to me and again, I could talk about this on like every song, but this shows <laughs> that these guys, these guys could play with Frank Sinatra and jazz and and highbrow adult music, and then they could play kids rock and roll and do it better than the you know. And we're not talking about maybe impact or quality, but I'm talking about quality of playing, you know, better than the Stones or the Beatles or whoever they were trying to emulate in terms of proficiency. So I mean, that's a uh, that's pretty. I mean. There's no, I don't know any musicians these days that have that reach. Yeah, I mean, they were all kind of jazz musicians to begin with, and they kind of got into rock and roll because that was what was demanded at the time in Hollywood. It was the, it was the paycheck. Yeah, and they were great at it. And they also kind of, you know, added, you know, their own, you know, classical expertise to the genre, and it really made for a lot of awesome records. Um, so speaking of which, another awesome record that I really enjoy, and I think you know the rest of the band is probably sick of me playing in the van is uh, Never. The Chris it's Montez. <laughs> no way, that stuff's great. The uh, Herb Albert Productions that uh, the Wrecking Crew pr- played on as well. Um, one of my favorites. There will never be another you. Just 
get to know you. Yes, I do. Yes, I'd like to get to know you. So that was Spanky and Our Gang with I'd Like to Get to Know You. Before oh, yeah. that was Chris Montez, There Will Never Be Another You. And those are two kind of awesome, you know, like somewhat Latin-influenced tunes that the Wrecking Crew played on and two of my favorite songs of all time. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, those are unbelievable tracks. I mean, the Chris Montez song, just cool, like Lee said, Latin jazz with an amazing vocal and just a sound. It didn't sound like anybody else, and I think that's what no, Hal was. Yeah. Uh, that's what, not Hal, I meant Herb. Yeah. That's what Herb was kind of going for with those productions. It was a unique riding the line between teen pop and adult contemporary, and he nailed it. It's great stuff. Um, and then Spanky and Our Gang, a band that had famously recorded mostly in New York because they were uh, more of a Midwest, Northeast based group and so was their label but at the time as was happening with so many big acts they came to LA to work in the studios and with the Wrecking Crew and that's got Hal Blaine on drums and Mike Deasy on guitar Larry Nectel on piano I mean you know just all these guys that Brian and and somebody so many other acts at the time were using and you can tell from their New York recordings which sound great but when they switch to the Wrecking Crew, it's this complete magic, and it's the sound of the rooms, and the sound of these guys in those rooms, and the arrangers they're working with. It's just a magic, magical, magical sound. And that song right there, you can tell, is kind of cut up in pieces, kind of like Good Vibrations, in a way, with the different sections you hear. Some definite hard edits that make that song what it is. Oh, yeah. So, up next... As we've mentioned a little bit before, we've got Frank Sinatra coming in hot with something stupid featuring his daughter as well, Nancy. And it's a great, great track, um, one that Jason and I are both huge fans of. I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me And if we go someplace to dance I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me And afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two Then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love you I can see it in your eyes that you despise the same old lies you heard the night before And though it's just a line to you, for me it's true and never seemed so right before Every day to find some clever lines to say to make the meaning come true But then I think I'll wait until the evening gets late and I'm alone with you The time is right, your perfume fills my head, the stars get red and oh the night's so blue Then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love you 
awesome, you know, love something stupid, incredible tracks. One of Frank's biggest hits, which is amazing. Um, it was the number one. It was one of, and he had a lot of big records, but this was one of his biggest. Now his daughter is real proud of that fact too, from what I've heard in interviews, and it's in the movie. So go check out the Wrecking Crew movie. But I love the story about the intro lick where Frank wanted a really specific part that he'd heard on another record. And Glenn Campbell and Al Casey are sitting there, and they have Glenn assigned to the lead, and Al as the rhythm player, and and Glenn plays more of like a, he says, a El Paso, which is a great Marty Robbins song, plays like an El Paso type lick, but that's not what Frank wants. Yeah. And, Frank, and Frank gets what he wants, baby. <laughs> um, and so they quickly, you know, Al leans over to to Glenn and says, hey, you know, I'm the guy who played the lick he wants on that other record. So they switched parts real quick and and they move on and make a great record. But I mean, that's an incredible sound on that song. Um, and I mean, the vocal, I mean, those vocals sound unbelievable, obviously, but the way the band kind of just accents that. And I love the story that Nancy Sinatra tells about that song, saying how Frank would only work with these A-list old-school jazz guys, but she convinced him to work with the Wrecking Crew. And then after this, I think, is or around the same time as when he was using them a lot on his records. So, you know, pretty incredible. So I have a bit of trivia here for you, Jason. All right, um, lay it on me. This song was nominated for the Record of the Year at the 10th Grammy Awards. Do you know which song it lost to? In... 67 or it would have been 68 oh well that's gonna be another wrecking crew song it is <laughs> it's gonna be one that we're gonna play in a minute yep. <laughs> it's called up up and away you got it by the fifth dimension isn't that awesome <laughs> up, up and away Well, that's just an unbelievable song by my other favorite writer of all time, Jimmy Webb. Oh, yeah. And speaking of Jimmy Webb, we've got another Jimmy Webb song up next. I swear we didn't plan this. Are we going to do a twofer? We've got another another Jimmy Webb song performed by um, Glenn Campbell, member of the Wrecking Crew. One of uh, my favorite songs. And also, um, one of the most, you know, popular songs that Glenn ever played, and one of the best songs, I think, um, that Jimmy Webb ever wrote. And also, a great quote that I have about this song that Billy Joel said. He said, Wichita Lineman is a simple song about an ordinary man thinking extraordinary thoughts. I always love that. I am a lineman for the county. And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the wine 
and the Wichita lineman is still on the line. I mean, everything about Wichita lineman is just a knockout. Um, I mean, the guitar sounds got that Dano bass right on the lick, oh, on yeah. the top lick, on the intro that you we talked about earlier. Carol K. That's playing. Carol K. And then also yep. the the guitar solo is actually the same bass. Glenn Campbell borrowed Carol K.'s bass for the guitar solo, yep. which I found out. So it's that, pretty amazing. That, that thing was like a, a magic, a magic instrument, man. It was also produced by Al Delory. Another a keyboard guy. Yeah, another Wrecking Crew member. So lots of ties here, and just a really awesome song. A sweet little tribute here for you guys to our late dear friend Glenn Campbell. So we're going to play a tune now that's some incredible drum work and bass work and everything, everything going, just a killer groove on this tune. Elvis Presley, a little less conversation, soundtrack song, not a hit at the time, but it became a remix hit like 40 years later or whatever. Um, in the early 2000s was some insane DJ mashup thing, but the original smokes. So here it is. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less spark. A little less fight, and a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart and maybe satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Baby, close your eyes and listen to the music. Dig to the summer breeze. It's a groove and I can show you how to use it. Come along with me and put your mind at ease. Hey! Less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation is satisfaction. A little more bite, a little less bark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Set your mouth and open up your heart. And baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Come on, baby, I'm tired of talking. Grab your coat and let's start walking. Come on, come on. Never my love 
All right, so that was Never My Love by The Association. Another amazing Wrecking Crew track from 1967. That was written by the Adrisi brothers, and it was a pretty big hit for The Association. One of my favorite tunes as well. Telling you, man, it's crazy. Like, this is all stuff that I listen to almost daily, and I don't think about it as being The Wrecking Crew, but it just makes sense, man. Of course it is. Of course it's The Wrecking Crew. It's a great pop rock out of California, so who else would it be? But our buds, The Wrecking Crew. Boom. So, The Wrecking Crew, obviously being based in, mostly, in Los Angeles, Hollywood, you would think, oh, well, these guys are playing on all these pop records, but they're also playing on, like, every TV show theme song from the era. I mean, it could go on and on. Green Acres, I mean, Gilligan's Island, whatever. If it was a, a song on TV, most chances are it's The Wrecking Crew. And my favorite TV show theme of the era is Hawaii Five-O by The Ventures, which is really just The Wrecking Crew with The Ventures guitar player. one of my all-time favorite records we just played and i'm putting it up there with anybody else's records that's uh, the boxer by simon and garfunkel is that a stone cold 10 yeah that is a stone cold 316 10 <laughs> that is it that is it that is a 10 out of 10 
I might even give it an 11. No, no, I no. Mean, no, you're we just can't getting, do that. You're just getting crazy. You're just getting crazy. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a 10. That's a 10 out of 10. If I mean, that's a 10 without me you finishing your sentence asking me if that's a 10. <laughs> that's a 10. Anyway, that tune is unique, though. We were talking so much about California. That song was mostly recorded in where Wyatt and I reside, Nashville, Tennessee, New York City, and L.A., it was recorded in those different locations. Hal Blaine and Joe Osborne and Larry Nechtel totally locked into Paul Simon's inner circle at this point, at the end of the 60s. They were the dudes that he had to work with. And had another session guy on there with him too that wasn't a Wrecking Crew guy, Fred Carter Jr., who was a Nashville guy. And that's the genesis of the song. But man, Hal's thundering drums, the really unique bass stuff going on, and just everything else about that track. I mean, Paul Simon at the time and their engineer Roy Halley were just considered to be America's cream of the crop. I mean, they were as close to George Martin and McCartney as you were going to get for studio sounds at the time, you know. Because by this point, you know, Brian wasn't as involved with the Beach Boys, which is sad, but you know, he was still cranking out great stuff. But at the time, the big hit maker, taste makers from America really were the Simon and Garfunkels of the world and things of that nature. So he knew, they knew they had to have the wrecking crew to achieve complete perfection. So they brought him wherever they were working at the time. So that's an incredible record. Just listen to that for days and get lost. And uh, <clears throat> up next, we're going to play a song by Roger Nichols and Paul Williams, two other writers that I know Wyatt and I both just absolutely love. And uh, this is We've Only Just Begun, which is featuring the great Hal Blaine, Joe Osborne, and Richard Carpenter just tearing it up. Boom. We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss for luck and we're on our way We've only begun And yes, we've just begun 
All right, so that was Captain and Tennille with Love Will Keep Us Together. So there's a cool little Wrecking Crew Beach Boys tie-in there because that is Daryl Dragon, who would go on to work with the Beach Boys for many years. And at this point, you know, kind of in the Wrecking Crew, they're kind of splintering off into doing their own things. Um, And in a lot of ways, they were kind of being replaced by you know kind of the bands at the time that really wanted to play on all their own records and they a lot of these bands had contracts that gave them the opportunity to play on their own records album oriented rock killed the record crew yeah and you've also got a lot of these new studio guys coming in um guys like andrew gold and um jim keltner you know guys that you know we love but uh we're kind of you know taking over and the new the new crop um kind of started to come in in Hollywood and guys were doing more records in New York and Nashville and um, you know but the Wrecking Crew would go on to work on lots of other records um, individually and um, I think they're celebrated more now than ever before with great pieces like that documentary that you mentioned Jason which you guys should check out for sure um, it's on iTunes, or you can order it online. Uh, it's just called The Wrecking Crew. We could talk all day about how important these guys were to you know, the music scene in the 60s, but you guys should definitely check it out on your own. Watch the movie. Do the research. Um, let us know what your favorite Wrecking Crew tracks are. And um, any final thoughts, Jason? I mean, these guys ruled the record industry for a decade. They shaped the way records sounded and influenced a ton of people that go in after them. And I know those dudes went on to keep playing on soundtracks into the 80s and early 90s, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, the ups and downs of that of the music industry, that even these guys that were making millions of dollars playing session music it just faded and things evolved past them and you know it's a bummer but i'm glad to see that they got their due especially lately in great books and films about them go to wreckingcrewfilm.com and support denny tedesco and you know get the movie from him or get it on any of those other sites wyatt mentioned great watch great education you know wouldn't be where i am today as a musician without these guys so Thanks to all you guys out there if you're ever going to hear this, any Wrecking Crew people, and people just get educated, get excited. All right, guys, so thanks again for listening. This is Wyatt here in Nashville. That's Jason. If you want to write us, you can email us, sailonpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the web and check out our tribute band at sailonsounds.com. And you can give us a call, leave a voicemail, 615-606-3887. We will be back soon with our next episode, and it's going to be a good one. We're going to be talking about one of the pivotal albums in the Beach Boys' career all summer long, baby. Man, one of my all-time favorites. Next time on Sail On, the Beach Boys podcast. (laughs) So, as our good friend Michael said, love and mercy... Hang on to your ego. God bless you guys. 
sail on sailors <laughs> and that's the bottom line I was just gonna say maybe we'll do worst fake Beach Boy songs. Mm. That'd be a That's little, little rough. Just the entire Jan and Dean catalog. Oh, <laughs> the shade! The shade has been. That's thrown. not going on there.